You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. guys welcome back to another landed legacy podcast here yes 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 we are coming back from texas during this podcast a great consulting trip but want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here you know there's a lot of people who don't hunt texas may not ever hunt texas and you may have seen this podcast you're like ah i don't really know guys I'm, i'm not interested in texas the point of the podcast is to really think about going back to the basics of management of that animal that you are looking to manage for specifically. You know, if you've grown up in the east or the southeast and you've never hunted out west, or or if you've grown up in the southeast and you've never hunted up north, um, you've never gotten outside of your comfort zone, you know, you're missing probably a lot of uh, potential details of that specific animal that you're looking to manage for, um, what they need, in um, varying landscapes. So uh, this podcast, again, even if you don't have an emphasis on Texas, it still will be very helpful for you to kind of get inside of our brains as to, okay, typically, yeah, we may not be working in, in areas of rainfall as low as this here in Texas, but the biology of the white-tailed deer is still the same. Whether that deer lives in Texas or whether it lives in Tennessee, it does not matter. We've got to completely think about 365 a year as we're managing these properties and um, offering the type of habitat and cover that they need specifically for that animal to function at its highest and uh, most, you know, highest individual function and fitness um, and then make the land as, as um, let's say, healthy and um, clean functioning as possible. So, be sure to give this podcast a listen, even if you're not in Texas or if you've never hunted Texas or you don't know what Texas is all about. Still, it's going to make you a better deer hunter and a deer manager. But before we get into that, let's first give a shout out to Vortex Optics. Guys, they just came out with a new apparel line for the fall of 2020. Fantastic stuff. A lot of new options from flannels to great new um, graphic t-shirts, hats, everything. On top of their optic lines, it's all awesome, guys. Um, 
Adam and I just got a couple new rifles, topped them with a Vortex scope, and actually tomorrow I'm going to get on the range and get it tuned in, sighted in, and uh, I'm excited to see what this fall is going to bring with the new rifle of choice. And go check out vortexoptics.com. Give them a like, follow on Instagram, social media, and um, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I think you will. So give it a listen. Appreciate it. All righty, here we are, back again. I've got Kyle Hedges with me. What's up, man? Hey, glad to be along on this trip. Yeah, we are, as you can probably tell, on the road, traveling. But guess where we're coming from? That's right. Texas, the big state of Texas. It is early October. Well, actually, no, it's, I guess it's still late September. No, today's October is, 1st. Wow. Yeah. yeah, okay, today is October 1st. So we have spent two days in Texas working. And so this podcast is going to be centered around what it is we saw, dealt with, observed, and the management strategies, techniques that are basically recommended are going to be deployed to these two different properties. And honestly, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it because I don't know if you could truthfully spend two days in Texas and find much more com- contrasting properties than what we were on. I mean, it, it, it's a huge state, right? So it, though it occupies a giant land mass, but we saw central westernish Texas one day, drove four hours east, and we're in eastern Texas, not far from Louisiana, on the next day. Yeah, totally different habitat type, totally different landscape, everything. I mean, just night and day. Yeah, yep. Night and day difference. And <clears throat> the other part that we're going to talk and touch on a lot, not only is the habitat different but the climate like the the eco regions of these two areas are vastly different we're going to talk about rainfall we're going to talk about the humidity we're going to talk about um, just one being essentially arid and one being like on this property there was a bayou like it wasn't called a, a creek it was a bayou in east texas and there was nothing very bayou-like in central or west Texas. Like, that, that word is just, like, foreign. So we, we've got much different strategies and approaches to wildlife management and what they're trying to achieve on these properties. But deer and turkey were a strong focus on both of them. So the same species that you're looking to promote occupy different types of spaces utilize different plant species plant communities and one versus the other um so therefore the approach has got to be different yeah and then these are living these properties are in completely different climates to some degree i mean for sure rainfall events uh temperature humidity completely different uh being four hours apart drastically different um so those animals are have different stressors depending mm-hmm. on where they're at. Um, 
the plant responses is, are going are way different. You know, four hours apart due to rainfall or lack thereof on yes. one property. So everything changes just where you're at in the landscape. And this was essentially, I mean. It, we might as well have just been in two completely different states pretty much. <laughs> right, right. I mean, we were. It was more or less in Louisiana for one and mm -hmm. what you would normally expect for Texas on the Correct. The other one. Correct. And I think I think it's important. Let's just let's just break down kinda of like day one. And the first day we started, we were we were good ways west of Dallas, but but relatively kind of north central ish Texas. Um but this this was a 240 acre property, um, very flat in that general region, and we're talking mesquite, we're talking some live oaks, post oaks, some elm, lots of cedar, but an area that should have been prairie or would have been prairie, right? Yep. Years and years ago, but a different type of prairie than what we were dealing with today when we were in East Texas. And we'll get into that later on. But essentially, there was not prairie there. Yeah, there was remnants of little pieces, glimmers, you know. There was little blue stem in a mm -hmm. few places where the sun was getting to the ground yesterday in, in the north-central Texas property. Uh, Blazing Star. I mean, we mm -hmm. found some some indicator species Saying, "Hey, I sure. this is I was here, yes, you know, 500 years ago. I'm still here. I'm still hanging on, right? Um, but yeah, um, a lot of it is, you know, past land uses. Some of it had been farmed, mm -hmm. uh, the north central place. Some of it had been farmed in the recent, well, not even, you know, 50 years ago, All less right. than less than that, right? Um, so." All of that has effects on what we're seeing today and 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 how we're going to manage it in the future, those, mm -hmm. those past things and what has happened. It's a lot different if we're going to try to recover maybe a prairie from it's been overgrazed or maybe sprayed. You see a lot of that in Oklahoma. Right. Um, versus one that's been farmed. Mm -hmm. Well, some of those species are never coming back. Correct. It, uh, so all that history was important. Important, and we were able to gather a lot of that from the landowner, and a lot of that just from walking around our own intel and observations, and, yeah. and certain plants tell us those things too. Yes, yeah, for sure. And so, a lot of what we were dealing with, they like said they're named off a couple species, but it's relatively prairie-like, and and we had some some larger um, dominant post oaks, live oaks. Uh, we did see blackjack, elm, um, a lot of cedar. And just tons and tons of mesquite. Um, and so it makes it unique and, and provides different challenges, right, to create the proper habitat out of those features and out of those vegetation types that were there. Um, especially when you look at the climate and the rainfall. And so this one property in north-central Texas, we're looking at 21 inches of rain, correct? Yep. Annually. Yep. And, and uh, you looked up, Kyle, the, prior to the podcast, the average 
U.S. rainfall is 38 inches. And you're like, oh, that's not that, you know, it's not that crazy. But every inch makes a humongous difference. And when you compare it to what we were at today at 50 inches of rain, that is two worlds apart from each other. Yeah. Vastly different. Yesterday's consult is on a property that gets 40% of the annual rainfall of where we were today. Yeah. It only gets half of the annual rainfall of the average place anywhere in the U.S. So, and and, and for, I guess to put it in a little bit of perspective for people, it's like, okay, well, guys, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> say you're trying to plant a food plot, right? Well, you need rain for a food plot. Well, what if you reduce your annual rainfall by or or that fall plot rain that you'd like to be getting by forty percent? Yeah, it's going to make a big difference. A, a big, big difference in what you actually see happening on the property. So the disturbances, um, fire, grazing, and dormant season disking, all those things are going to be completely different when you only have 21 inches of rain a year. Yeah, you're going to have a slower response than an average year from a lot of stuff. And then, of course, we know there's that's just average. So you're going to have right. some dry years. You're going to have some wet years. But you you got to kind of plan for those and prepare for those. So we may not, we won't be near as aggressive in some of the disturbance regimes for an area that only has 21 inches of rainfall. Because the recovery time for the vegetation that we want is a lot longer. Right. If we do some of these disturbances and happen to get hit with a dry year, wow, that's okay. Stuff will stuff will grow. Sure. But it may not look like we want it to until the second growing season in an environment like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, like, for, for instance, yesterday, what, what do we see at both properties? And people have different names for them. Dove weed was one of the names, and the other property was goat weed. But croton, or croton, yeah, excuse yeah, me. Croton all over. Croton yep. all over both properties. But one happened to be about 12 inches tall, and another one happened to be, out. it was probably two and a half to three feet oh, tall. Oh, yeah, it was knee to thigh high. Yeah. yeah. And so the same plant, but when you look at that response of that annual coming back, it's like, wow, there's a humongous difference here in the height and regeneration of that or the propagation of that plant in one year based on rainfall and so that changes again that disturbance interval of how quickly you can come back to disturb a site with whatever techniques that we're talking about you know fire again um, dormant season disking but those it, it just drastically changes yet we're still managing the same for the same species the same wildlife species and I'll remind everyone, we're driving back from Texas, so that means we're in the state of Oklahoma now. And if you hear the roads, sorry, but they're not the best roads. So it's like I can hear the tires and the bumps and the cracks and all those things. So yeah. apologies, but it's not going to be the smoothest ride here on the way back. Despite paying tolls at like four <laughs> different places. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but that's another podcast subject. Yes. So... Obviously, there there's some some challenges, but but Kyle, I'll let you kind of talk about some of the management um, techniques and some of the things that okay in this north central Texas property from a stressor standpoint, 
what is it that we need to address and make sure the habitat is providing and 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 what are those and then how are we going to do that with let's say the species that we saw present or we know we could get to grow there on the property yeah and so this guy um, yesterday he was interested in in overall land management but Mm -hmm. but he was keyed up on deer quail and turkeys probably in that order yeah um a very active deer hunting program there with him and his family and he's some some friends um they want quail on the property they've see quail on occasion so they're around and then they're they've begun hunting turkeys on this property so they're fortunate it's only 240 acres but they Mm -hmm. have these species already on the Mm -hmm. on the property so you know right off the bat um we got to be thinking about multi facets here of of we need nesting and brood rearing Um, yes that becomes very relevant to the overall program that we're going to set up for this guy as opposed if we were only looking at if this guy's only goals were were deer yes fortunately you know a lot of the folks that land and legacy works with are are into the holistic just land management i want to work mm-hmm. with the land anyway and and that's that covers all those bases anyway sure. yep um but this guy had you know three specific species um so we got to come at it from an angle of you know how and where can we get these things and make this work and it was a really interesting property in the fact that so it's only 240 acres the east part of it the east third is used to be farmed not that long ago and mm-hmm. then let go and a lot of past old pasture stuff yeah so basically it's old field but our kind of old field is would be way more delightful than his old (laughs) field if you let something go from farming it and you let it go for five or six years in north central texas you have mesquite Mesquite every 20 feet yes Yes. so that's what he has that's Mm -hmm. what he's up against so all of a sudden wow we we've got to deal with this then the center one third is this nice mix of he's got mesquite scattered around and of course the herbaceous layer he's got mm-hmm. a variety of of stuff going on um some good stuff yep. here and there a lot of ragweed um no yeah. no cattle on this farm right now um but had a you know the croton and ragweed and, uh, but he also had post oaks in this middle third and, and kind of some you know timber that deer were utilizing in fact he yeah. admitted hey this is my my most deery most productive area yeah yeah this middle third section here and then this west third is as bad a solid cedars as i've ever seen anywhere in the universe it's rough it's thick there's a few there's post oaks in it but it Mm -hmm. just so he's got you know one third of the property that's basically completely unusable for any of the wildlife species we are targeting uh we did see three different groups of hogs so (laughs) Not. Which is, which is we'll, we'll get into it, but kind of remind me in, in the conversation to go back to some of the improvement of the habitat that will, that is going to be done in that portion of the property, the thickest, heaviest, densest cedar, and what that then response-wise will be to help decrease the likelihood and expectancy usage of hogs in that, in that property, portion of the property, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, this 
back to so it's almost like three different completely different habitat types on the yeah. same 240 acres so our mm -hmm. prescriptions become completely different yeah we're still all within the same 20 and in, 21 inch rainfall we're still worried about these same three species of wildlife but you know on that mesquite flat stuff we got to deal with the mesquite first of all so we can get to where we want for herbaceous Correct. stuff yes um get, like peel the the top bad layer off yep then to be able to work with everything else yep so and he's you know he's got little blue and and broom sedge and and some different we've, we've got some good quality potential quail nesting and brood rearing already mm -hmm. there yeah um but the mesquite it's just it's all gonna be gone very soon with the mesquite so and, and explain that so from a, from a shading out sunlight yeah i mean it's just going to get to where that's all it's there and of course for for quail we want some level of of brushy scrubby stuff which mm -hmm. which this guy also had fortunately i mean he had a variety of the the woody component is is never going to be an issue on his farm correct correct um, not in the he didn't have you know plum thickets like right. like we have but but there's this uh, a variety of species of stuff that he had going on and even you know he had some big clumps of prickly pear cactus so, oh yeah i mean that has a function in the quail world as well so and what was the other one the uh, oh, needle cactus yeah, something um, that he warned us absolutely don't do touch not get yeah, stuck by that <laughs> so we didn't but an, but another like if you will um, from a structure standpoint, something woody-wise that would have been um, useful, yeah. usable space from a structure cover standpoint for quail. Yep. Yep. And uh, so on this front, you peel, and he, he already knew it. Hey, I've got to grub out all this mesquite. So yeah. he already knew before we ever said a word that, man, this, this has to happen. Right. This has gotten too far along. Yep. You know, looking at parts of it that were open enough, though, then the next step is going to be, hey, you, you got some broadleafs in here, but we, we're going to really need to work to increase the the broadleafs for brood rearing. Mm -hmm. This this is going to be some pretty good quail and turkey brood rearing habitat sure. if we get all this mesquite off of here. But we're going to have to have a disturbance, be it fire, maybe it's some dormant season disking. I, yep. I see that being a probably a an easier tool in that part of the world uh, yeah for I, sure we will we will prescribe that he do do some fire but in 21 inch rainfall if he's only relying on fire the, there's going to be some years he can't burn without Correct. burning up the whole county <laughs> so i mean for, for instance it was the last day of september yeah yesterday we were down there it was 90 degrees as a high and it started really nice pleasant in the yep. morning mid 50s i'd say yeah i had a sweatshirt on yeah yep. and the, and it climbed um right but it got to 90 degrees and the relative humidity that day at 90 degrees the end of september was only 16 percent yeah i mean if a fire was burning there 16 percent with that thatch layer it would have been very difficult to stop and I don't, we're not saying this to, to scare people about prescribed fire, but it's simply you have to know what your conditions are and be burning responsible um, yeah. time frames with the right proper humidity levels. Like if that's going to be happening, um, 
in Missouri, 16%, you know, those are days we're not going to be burning. We're going to be yeah. waiting for days that are, let's say, less volatile conditions. Well, and we need to prescribe things that are, you know, uh, a couple options for folks like this. We yeah. don't want to put him in a situation where he's, man, these guys said I have to burn and I can't burn because it's a drought year and all's for naught. Well, well no, there's, we have some alternatives, you yes. know. Would I prefer fire? Sure. But, hey, we can get here with some dormant season disking, I think, on mm-hmm. some of these acres. Mm-hmm. He yep. had in this this front third. He had a lot of cheat grass. Yes, not ideal. Cheat grass, it cheats the <laughs> cheats the cattle. It's a, it's a non-native, invasive, aggressive growing yep. deal. Yep. So it's taken up all the bare ground between plants. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that I want for quail chicks to quail adults to be mobile. Uh, you're lost. You're losing it with this cheat grass. So. Yeah. You know, that'll be one of the tools to combat that is if we time some disking right, um, we can increase the the forbs and and decrease some of that cheat. Um, yes. So it kind of kind of interesting. Um, he's he's got to remove that headache of mesquite first, but but then we'll be able to work on something else. When he does that, this this third was, I mean, it was just mesquite. Like yes. There was nothing else in a big portion of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually going to be light on woody cover for quail. Sure. Yep. So yep. we're going to recommend some down tree structures, some mm-hmm. some things to create some temporary um, covey, you know, covey headquarters, uh, escape cover for for quail. If, if he wants them to occupy those acres, that's what we're going to have to do to mitigate for that. And, and explain real quickly what that down tree structure is and how someone might go about putting that in the in place on their own property if um let's say if if shrubs are hard to come by or the woody component is difficult to get regenerated maybe because they got a high deer population so yeah we we want to take you can just cut some trees down he's going to be cutting a lot of trees and uh-huh. we'll find out more as we go through this podcast or even some of these mesquite that he grub out um, back home, we'll do it with hardwoods. We'll cut down a tree, and we'll just take the top out of it mm-hmm. and drag it out into the middle of a field. So if we've got fields where we don't feel there's adequate shrubby cover, and I want it every, say, 100 yards, I want a thicket, well, I'll just make basically a, not a brush pile. I don't want something dense enough raccoons mm-hmm. going to live in it, mm-hmm. but literally just a couple treetops, a down tree structure. Um move that out there and scatter those every 100 yards across the landscape and what will happen short term that provides structure that quail can get underneath and yep. be protected from overhead um, you'll even get turkeys nest in those sure. sometimes um, so it gives them some security from raptors but what also happens then is birds perch on these and they poop out seeds Absolutely. and so you get this flush of other woody cover coming on so long term after you've burned and done a couple things in this field those those down tree structures after a few years have broke down but now we have this flush of of woody growth coming mm-hmm. right up through it and i don't care on this farm if it's mesquite that comes back up through it sure we don't want this whole field to be mesquite but islands mots of it yep that'll provide great um, escape cover so Definitely. So that that's a perfect definition of that down tree. But basically, 
supplementing a, a hardwood thicket, a like I said, a, a mott, um, some sort of shrubby cover for the time being. So that addresses quite a bit of uh, the open areas that the property is dealing with, but then kind of migrate into what the remainder of the farm would have looked like and the techniques applied to there. And, and one of them, you know, I guess from a stressor standpoint, a lot of people hear us talk about you know, the importance of woody brows. Now, got to go to the region, right? Like, yeah, Texas in this portion, it can get cold at night. I mean, they, they can experience some cold temperatures. Last, He, he showed us pictures of, of a five-inch snow there yeah, that yeah. they had last year. So, you know, do they have long extended periods where the woody brows is as necessary um, as it may be in Illinois, northern Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York, New York? No, no, it's not. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be present. So I'll let you kind of explain more about, like, how we're going to accomplish some of that features and keep it in the right stages and levels throughout this kind of middle section of hard mast, herbaceous, grassy, but still offering some bedding type cup. Yeah, this middle section was interesting. So there's there's post oaks with with pretty good acorn crop on mm-hmm. this year. But and it's probably the function of of birds sitting on the post oak limbs. But every post oak, so listeners, you know, picture this. This is uh, not as open as a savanna, but somewhere in between. Picture there's a post oak every, I don't know, what, 40? I was going to say 40 yards. 40 yards. 30, 40 something. But within the drip line of every post oak. That's not an exaggeration. From the trunk out to the drip line, the tip of the, there's, 10 cedar trees under every post yeah. oak. Yeah. And then in between all that mixture is your random elm and mesquite yep. growing among all the other basis stuff. Yeah. And so lots of elm, and man, it was getting pounded too. <gasps> they're, they're browsing it. They're looking. literally shaping the tree by the browse yep. intensity of that species there on this property. And you find, you know, where they're, where they're, Sprouts are coming up, and they're just pounding. It looks like a yep. little bush. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you got elm trees that have gotten out of reach. So yep. that you know, talking to him about cutting. Hey, you just cut this, cut it back down, and let it what, stump it sprout. And they're and boy, he was really you know excited to see that. And it's very visual. You can mm-hmm. point and say, "Look, they're eating this. This is what they want." Uh, all that the acorns were already starting to fall, which is pretty common in, in drier environments and falling early and. Um, so there, that's obviously a food source as well. Um, there's ragweed. There's greenbrier scattered all over, yeah. just getting grazed really yeah. he- or browsed really heavy. So, you know, able to point out a lot of things that are happening. And and he he recognized the the shortfall on these post oaks of these cedars are sucking the life out of these post oaks. They yes. had a fair amount of acorns on them, but it, think it, about what ten cedars at the base. Yeah, is fighting it's, for it's, it's like two hands around someone's neck, right? Yeah, choking, um, robbing nutrients, competition, and the other aspect of it was now since you've got the shade of a post oak and and such dense growth of cedars, what you've really created underneath of all this is a place that 
pigs are rooting around and spending a lot of the day, but it's growing so dense underneath that deer don't have the ability to really navigate through that and utilize that shade component from the post oak. It's just so thick that you're really making it far better for the pigs that are on the property than the deer that are on the property. Or even get to the a lot of the acorns that are falling. Correct. Because they're yeah. falling into this miniature cedar forest that's underneath the post oak. So removing, he, he'd already done a few. He'd had oh, some yeah. clearing done. Yeah. And he'd taken some out. And just the region under these post oaks was being browsed. Oh, It looked like you ran over it with a lawnmower. Yeah, that was the other crazy thing was in some of the other areas that had the cedar removed, all that gamma grass down in there. Mm. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) A little sidetracked. But underneath of those post oaks where the cedars were removed, it was amazing to see just how many oak sprouts were coming back. We're talking hundreds of oak sprouts and they were being browsed very heavily versus the areas that you had full cedar underneath of them. There were zero oak sprouts coming back. Yeah. None. And, and very little usage from the wildlife he's looking to truly promote on the property. He's taking advantage of the hogs being there, but it's not like he's wanting to really design a property around trying to in- increase hog activity. He didn't need to do that. They were there. Right. Well, and so this middle section, he'd also told us, you know, on the first kind of question and answer before we went looking around, this was his best deer part of the farm. Yeah. Um, The west part, solid cedars. First of all, you can't hunt it. You can't see 10 yards. Mm -hmm. But he just doesn't doesn't get deer use, doesn't even see deer really coming or going out of that stuff. The front that's mesquite flat. Yeah, some deer use. They feed through more or less. But, but, yeah, they're filtering through it. There's really not a lot of food in that right now. So this center that had the post oaks had a lot more diversity. Well, that's where he's, where most of his deer hunting activity is occurring. Well, that's great, but it's only on a third of your farm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's some opportunities to, to cut some stuff, add cover, add security to this part of the farm. And increase the, the food availability for deer. Oh, yeah. um, that also, this same middle section, you know, had little blues. Had a herbaceous component. Had ragweed. Had croton. Had, had a nice variety of broadleafs in there. Um, found some sunflower species. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a real opportunity. And that's where he said he also sees turkeys, by the way. So yes. Go, Already, go figure. It yeah. sounds diverse, right? Yeah. Huh. But, man, all the stuff we're, we want him to do for deer um, with some cutting and, and some changing is going to improve it for turkeys as well. And I'd say currently it's questionably usable for quail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely will be usable space for quail uh, sure. when he does all of this. So I think... The other important aspect is the movement of the wildlife on this property in correlation to a neighboring property. The other property, neighboring property, had a large ag field. He's got a great relationship with his neighbors, which strongly encouraged because it's benefited him a lot. And so he's taking advantage of that. Um, But 
he's recognized this corridor a lot from turkey usage, but then a lot of facilitating deer movement back and forth too. And so when in looking at the features of this property, that middle section, as well as that very, very dense um, eastern portion, how is the management going to be revolving around that additional corridor that we want that we that we recognize we can easily see um but we want to basically accentuate that the, you're talking the corridor that was going off of the neighbor yes yeah yes. so the on this neighbor to the north there's these mature oaks this stringer of mature oaks and he says oh yeah deer funnel through that onto his on and off of his property same as the turkeys that's where they're roosting right now so that's good information to have, and we need to utilize that to our advantage. So um, we obviously can't manipulate that, and we don't necessarily want to, but if we know that's where a lot of the deer are coming and going, then that's where we want to do some of the first habitat work to accentuate, right? Mm -hmm. And we want to build off of that. If he's going to be spending five years implement, implementing a management plan, well, if we want him... Do we want to spend the first two years as far as possible from all of his deer activity? Probably not. Let's right. start where the heaviest activity is and and expand out. So, nope. using that information um, and trying to to work with the travel corridors that are already there will be really important. There was a. Another unique feature that this guy had was it, part of this used to be a hog running pen. And they actually, <laughs> yeah. around the barbed wire perimeter on some of this, then they had put hog panels up. So when they would dump hogs in here, they couldn't get out. So umpteen years ago. Well, there was a hog panels, and he was, he was already removing some of these. He knew they were detrimental. We didn't tell him anything earth-shattering, but just something that, Sometimes people may not think about, well, this nice stringer of, of mature oaks that left onto the neighbor that the, he says the deer in Turkey use as a travel corridor to connect to a, a northern ag field back and back and forth to his property. Well, there's hog panels all along this thing. Yeah. Well, he's got a kid that hadn't killed a turkey yet, but they've been trying. Yep. Um, tried last spring. You just you know, old enough to really start hunting. Kid's 11, his son's 11. And, uh, well, man, there's hog panels all, this is where the turkeys are coming and going. <laughs> yeah. We gotta get, the first place I'm tearing down hog panels is right, there. right here. Yes. Um, this is a priority. Yeah. Uh, yeah, turkey's still gonna have to duck a barbed wire fence, but that's better than trying to make one fly over a, a hog panel fence. So right. Even just little details like that that are impeding travel onto his property, man, we can fix that pretty quick. Let's just pull really those quick. off the fence. And that's why I think it's important, again, to have that relationship there with neighbors because you, you're you sharing wildlife. So don't worry about, like, if, if wildlife are doing something and utilizing a resource on a neighboring property, it it would be honestly kind of foolish to try for him to try and stop that type of activity. Because guess what? He's not going to stop it. They're going to go in and around because there's a desirable resource over there that truthfully there's no place on his property that can compete with that. So we're not going to compete with that. We're going to try and increase, honestly, a corridor 
so that he can not only pull deer off of that food resource that's up there, but bring them back to his property and offer far better cover than the other property will ever be able to um, offer because of its nature of being very wide open and also having a very strong cattle uh, impact as well. So we're going to try and enhance the features that he can have on his property, but base it in and around some of the corridor and the, the natural movement of deer on this property, to and from his property. Yeah, and another feature you mentioned earlier, um, we'll circle back to, is, is water. So we're in this 21-inch mm-hmm. rainfall um, country, right? So water's a top commodity. Could be a very limited resource. Well, this on guy on 240 acres, he had five ponds. Yeah. Like, un- yeah. one of them's a lake. No, it is a, it's a lake. It's I a mean, lake. it's yeah. three, four acre lake. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, like, build my house overlooking on. this. Look, yeah, lake. it's beautiful ravine yeah. down through there, but just a fantastic amount of live water. Well, I'd say live water on this place, and it and it was. A humongous asset to the property yeah i mean so now all of a sudden hey we're not worried about you know dry times of the year stress periods yeah. that deer well heck this is our only water or we don't even have water and they're going on the, so this guy's got that covered done it's a non-issue yep. for quail for the most part they don't need standing water they get it from dew and eating insects and this and that but for other wildlife you know that's a critical component um, so, so nice distribution of water mm-hmm. um, and how animals move and, and utilize that. And his family's fishing. They've gotten into yes. fishing. Yep. Great. Um, said his daughter, she's nine, has really gotten into fishing, outfishes awesome. the boy, makes yeah. fun of him. That's a good time. <laughs> Every family likes the good oh, yeah. old ribbon. Yep. So, yeah, just all those things play into how these animals are going to move across the landscape. And, and truthfully, in, in, in relation to those water features as well, we know that there's going to be a lot of movement kind of from one to another. So we're going we're gonna to honestly build off of that as well. And some of the features of defined travel corridors are going to be built in and around. We're going to utilize basically some of the, the fingers and drainages and some of the topography features that would flow into these water systems as additional corridors to move deer, create pinch points between different habitat types. Because again, here we've got standing water on five different ponds that are occupying a pretty good chunk of land. Well, let's, let's sandwich them in between some of these ponds. And now we've, now we've created a beautiful pinch point that makes you've got great access from two different ways on many of them. And now we're bottlenecking deer. Hey, absolutely. I'm going to do that. And so we're, increasing usage wildlife usage throughout the whole place based on not only topography but additional features or creating new features to work off of you bet we use everything to our advantage to help him be more successful help them have you know um, higher deer sightings per hunt mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of opportunities to work off of there and so kind of mentioned a little bit earlier but going back to that hog situation there's, there's a realization, I guess, when it comes to the, the hogs here. He can, unless neighbors are really all working together in this very large area to reduce hogs very intensely, trapping, um, there's going to be hogs there. 
in this property based on some of the water features was always going to be attractive to hogs. But specifically, the easternmost portion of the property was so dense and so um, void of a lot of the green vegetation that would have been attractive to turkeys and deer and usage just from a mobility standpoint. Um, hogs were the only thing that were utilizing it. It was very heavy shade component, but adjacent to the water, he talked, he's like, if I want to go find hogs, I'm just going to go here. Like I, they're, they're there hundred percent, but through the management, he wants to utilize them as another recreational opportunity. But he's like, I don't want to make the property more desirable to them because regardless, I'm just going to have, I'm going to have them. I'm going to deal with them. Right. Yep. They're always going to be there. But when we start addressing the reduction of cedar on those acres, on the eastern portion that is so, so thick, it's going to then, therefore, reduce the amount of time that hogs are staying on his property and competing for additional resources or they're interfering with potential quail nests or, or turkey nests. Um, we want to we want to disrupt that. So we're, we're although we're creating better habitat for deer turkey usage on that specific portion, we're actually reducing the quality of habitat that the hogs are looking for. Yeah, the hogs are using that par- portion kind of as a refuge. Mm-hmm. It's just solid, impenetrable garbage that you know for us to walk through, or a deer, uh, eighty-five inch deer couldn't run his antlers through this no no way let alone a 160 inch deer right but the hogs can scoot right under these cedar thickets and they're using them to their advantage i mean Mm -hmm. that's where they want to be and some of the surrounding property has some similar characteristics of this by the way so that's important information too so we already know and you know i've got a lot of experience i've worked two different places and dealt with feral hogs um in my my job uh, being a public lands manager I know what hogs want I know what habitat they're going to hole up in so uh, as we remove these cedars which need gone anyway because there's zero usable space for for deer turkeys back in this stuff Um, we need the herbaceous we need to release these these post oaks that's going to push some of these hogs they're still going to come and go off of them like you said they got the water but they're going to start living more on the neighbor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That doesn't get rid of the problem, but it displaces. It, it sure um, eliminates the the time, the occupancy. Yes. On this property, well, the less time they're there, the less damage they do. So, um, and he'll they'll still have opportunities to kill hogs. Um, so, and you know, back to controlling them. This this guy's two hours away. It's not feasible. I mean, he's not running hog traps. Right. And, and his neighbors, one guy messes around with a little bit. Nobody on the other three sides does anything as far as trapping hogs. I mean, there's just eradication's not an option in, in this situation. So make the best of it. Um, manage the habitat against the hogs as best we can. And then he'll continue to to shoot some and they mm-hmm. like them they eat them he said they mm-hmm. kill about 10 a year yep. they're getting a little bit of recreation out of it um, they're getting some good breakfast sausage out of it yep yep you absolutely know, smoked pork loin and so take advantage of there's that there's nothing wrong with that you no. make 
you get lemons and make lemonade. That's right. That's right. So that kind of wraps up a, a lot of that property. You got one well, more? Yep. Go ahead. We need to mention one more thing, really important. And yep. We're always bagging on this on these podcasts, and Adam and, and you, Matt, are yep. talk a lot about folks relying on food plots so this guy oh, yeah. he yeah. wasn't relying yeah. on food plots but no. he had you know everybody wants to have food plots it's fun you yeah. like to do it right yeah. yeah yeah so he had just planted this food plot mm-hmm. and, and he had just seen it green germinating growing yeah like two days prior to us being there yeah 20 so 21 inch rainfall country plants the fall food plot yep gets 10 inches of rain out of these <laughs> last hurricanes yeah i mean this couldn't this be more world perfect. Like, this is ideal. This is the best food plots he's ever going to have. I mean, it was just one food plot. I don't yeah. know. What was yeah. it? Maybe a couple. Two and a half, three acres. Yeah. So, you know, he's not relying on. But point is, they've got to stand over this food plot. Mm-hmm. They've killed deer mm-hmm. over the, this. Is, this is an important feature to him. Very centralized. A, ni- <laughs> a nice feature. Neighbor texts him. Says army worms have arrived, boom, boom, boom. and we walk out into this <laughs> field, and I mean, he's just his jaw hits the ground. He's like, "I was here two days ago, guys, yeah. and this was, this, you know, was." What I, did he I have? could see blade or yeah, blades, leaflets of, of wheat that were what would have been easy six, seven inches, yeah, tall. above your ankle, yeah. and I mean, th- it's done. It's there are dirt. millions. Yes. Of army worms crawling around this field. In yes. two days, they've wiped it out. So, once again, reliance on that. And, get, and, and guess what they weren't eating, right? Yeah, the native The foods. native forage. Yeah. yeah, they're not eating the green briar. They're not eating. So, luckily, this guy has some other stuff. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah. He'll have deer. But, man, if you're relying on something like that, there's put there your, you go. Put your eggs in one you basket. You finally get Ooh. rain, you get army worms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we don't deal with that knock on wood right um so yeah that was a great a great point uh to to certainly bring up but you know there's that property in that portion of texas just it has different oh gosh different challenges um and different ways to address those challenges to meet those objectives for the landowner although again the the priority was deer turkey and quail so Contrastly, let's take us to today and where we just wrapped up um, the 480-acre property consultation, spent the day working with the landowner and his friend and toured the property. It was a very, uh, I think 320 acres was, was pasture, but he had a lot of additional area that we could uh, really get very aggressive with from a wildlife habitat related um, aspects. We, you know, we're going to make improvements and suggestions for the tenant farmer, tenant cattle uh, operator to improve you know, through rotations, adding in um, additional forages to the Bahia grass base um, in those pastures. But all in all, this, this property in its size, like we're going to be able to do a lot, but this is east east texas almost into louisiana i'd say we're probably 20 miles uh from louisiana something like that so you know this is vastly different country species composition 
on this property, yet a lot of the same general principles still apply. But the way we go about them, and the way this landowner will take these recommendations and then begin to manage this property is vastly di- different from four hours west of him. So, Kyle, kind of walk us through what that property had and ways to address and create the the desired features that it takes to grow, produce quality deer and turkeys on this place. So, this guy's western two-thirds is pasture like you mentioned bahia grass mostly but within that he's got these uh some finger draws that yep. come out some some wooded draws that it's a pine sweet, sweet gum. gum there's oak some hickory um, some hickory just this mix uh, but he's talking about and there's a major highway by the way on right on this west edge so yeah like a four-lane highway Talking about, hey, I just don't see much deer activity over here. Well, these these draws that there's one main creek that's cutting through all this pasture. The draws that are coming off of it are just these finger draws that are going up a couple three hundred yards, but this dead end out in this dead in the middle middle of these pastures. So it's pretty obvious, no no reason for a deer to to go out there. And, it would be and, like it would be like dropping me off in the middle of New York City. I would start looking around, and be like, okay, where Where's like Central Park? Where can I see a tree? Like, <laughs> yeah. where do I go? Where, what's home to me? It would be like the same thing for deer to be dropped off in the center of that pasture. Something bad happens. If they're caught out there, cornered out there, where do they go? Well, they're not going to put themselves in a place where they can't, they don't have escape cover. Like, that makes them super, super vulnerable. Well, it's not very good usable space. Yep, and within these little draws, there is some good food. I mean, my gosh, we found American Beautyberry like crazy down the sides of these draws. Um, Like I said, there is some oak. There's green briar. There's blackberry, partridge peas. They're browsing on all this stuff, and and we're pointing this stuff out. And and so it's exciting. The species are there. Sumac was there. I mean, it, it had all the right components, just not... Distribution of those components was sporadic and poor, but it's like, man, we can we can work with what we're getting with here. Yeah, a lot of it was just dead end to nowhere. Yeah, and, and so then you transition to the east part of the property, and you got into he had a section he called the sanctuary, but essentially, you know, a hundred acres of this that's not pasture. Yep. Um, well, here's where we get into. So we're in this fifty-inch rainfall yeah. situation, and that's all well and good. There was even some swampy interesting stuff he had going Very on that, that could yeah. be that he doesn't see many deer but it was wide open underneath yeah. certainly could be enhanced and will be enhanced and, and, and choked out with um chinese privet yep. and a couple other very because of the structure of the privet and it holds its leaves so long and the vine action around it there was very little sunlight ever getting in yep it was very unusable despite being what could be and will be in the future a great corridor for for moving deer. Yep, travel corridor and yeah. even yeah, the, the turkey usage too because the yep. the the um, willow oak and stuff that was in there. I mean, some of that stuff was perfect size for turkeys. Yep. Perfect. Yep. yep, little tiny acorns, perfect for them to eat. Well, not only are we dealing with this different rainfall situation, but again, past management. Mm. So we're, we get over into the timbered portion of this property, and 
and again there's a mix of pine but you're looking around and you're like wow so there's there's a handful of pine that are i don't know what we had some 16 18 yeah, inch yeah. pine yep, probably like that. yep and then oh 90% of the rest of the timber is 5 inch dbh or smaller yes i mean smaller your like think, think or high smaller. stem count <laughs> and then go to the next level <laughs> yeah like way overstocked clear cut yeah. area left nothing happened since yeah so this past history you're standing here looking saying okay we're in a so when did the clear cut happen <laughs> yeah i mean you already know what happened yep oh yep. i think 12 years ago mm-hmm. well okay that would have been great except there was no follow-up yeah. management so now we're back eight to, nine years ago this was fantastic oh boy yeah but, but eh, nothing's happened so we've missed the fire time now it's too big we're not going to kill any of this stuff with fire um some of it's even starting to have some cedar encroachment mm-hmm. that's beyond fire killing so we're back to mechanical we're going to be back yep. to some chainsaw uh work or, or skid steer work and some bedding thickets and, and that opens a whole nother can of worms you know yep we're looking at that this whole thing is it's usable for a deer it's certainly not ideal high stem count there's food in here I mean, there's beauty bear. There's all this stuff, but it's it's really not expressing itself very well. It's struggling. No. It's agonizing in the shade. P- potential is like a ten, yeah. but 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 actual in this condition is more or less like uh, overall cover. I mean, I'm gonna give it maybe a four. That's generous. And, and probably, you know, he's talking about deer and how they use this place and and no doubt deer are bedding in this the mm-hmm. problem is it all looks the same <laughs> exact same so you don't know where any of these deer bed the other yeah. they're bedding in this mm-hmm. but when you're walking to the stand in the dark you may or may not just you know put your wind on the deer you were hoping to hunt the next three days yep. and he's that's it he's done left the property and like bound it off and right your target deer just left in the dark and you didn't even know it so uh, obvious no-brainer first step um we're gonna break up the 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 continuation of just 12 year old clear cut yep mechanical means bedding thickets chainsaws getting in there getting aggressive and just dropping going right back to year like zero or one or two uh, from a regeneration standpoint and and with kind of going back to the the topic of the podcast and with 50 inches of rain oh yeah wow that regrowth holy cow it's going to blow up in there i mean it's going to be incredible and in just a in a year's time frame but again they had from from a beneficial standpoint of the things that could regenerate there ample american beauty bear oh, yeah. it was it was not close to expressing its full potential but it was everywhere already then there's um, black gum. We saw red maple. We saw a lot of flowering dogwood. We saw um, elm. And there was greenbrier green and this stuff. Yeah, I mean, those types of that regeneration is going to be huge um, in those bedding clear cuts. And so I, I think 
obviously that's that's like 80 grit. We're going in there. We're yep. doing that. That's number one. No brainer. But then we had this other kind of like decision to make, let's say from a recommendation standpoint or the rest of this stuff. Like what happens to, we can't make the whole thing feasibly with chainsaws, a bedding thicket, right? Nor, nor are we going to prescribe that. But down the road, and based on his region, he's got paper mills. Yep. And so he's able to get to a um, standpoint with the current condition of the regeneration to a harvestable point much quicker than many areas that are, you know, any other type of, of, of hardwood mill, right? So he's got the ability to, you know, in a few years after it matures, I shouldn't say matures, after it grows more, gives more tonnage, they can come in and actually have an income off of the that uh, timber, but then also have a giant amount of labor force done and get paid to do it. So it doesn't make sense to manually go in there and do absolutely treat every acre TSI when we've got a paper mill close by. Yep. We can let them do a lot of the work, and then from there, after that happens... We can manage those acres a lot differently. We can change up the fire interval. We might be able to do some areas that are are uh, much much less in the return of fire. So maybe three years versus some areas that are six years on fire. And we where whereas in the western or, or excuse me central portion west of this area. The other property, we didn't have that option because you're not going to be burning every two years out there, or you're not going to have anything to burn. Yeah, you wouldn't want to anyway. That that right. guy, you know, you can see the effects of a burn in, in north central Texas three, four years later. Uh-huh. 50 inch rainfall country, you know, you've lost the effect of that burn within a couple of years in a lot of cases. So mm-hmm. certainly it will prescribe a higher fire return interval, and, and he, he can maintain this habitat. So but there will be this little temporary, hey, let's do this, let's do A, B, and C. But we actually want you to, to wait, time out on some of these yeah. acres and wait until it hits the, the pulp stage yep. and, and then must market it that way um, so you can get a bunch of labor done. Because, man, I wouldn't want to try to TSI it the way it is right now. Oh, I don't, man. I don't even know. Talk about work, 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 work. <laughs> I mean, like, I love TSI, but but I don't want to do TSI in that stem count. Like, in some areas, you couldn't have, like, if, even if you're utilizing hackers court, you wouldn't have been able to swing a, a hatchet. It was so dense. So uh, it's like, yeah. this is not that feasible to even attack. Honestly, it's this, it's the this weird in-between mixture of, hmm, do I sit here and... And we're not we're not ever doing anything idle, right? But do I need to let it get to a stage, advance some more before yeah. it just makes way more sense um, to then apply a new technique to it? And in this ca- case, in this situation, based on his region and the resources there, yes, that's a way. That's like the most simple out, <laughs> if you will, yeah. an option for him. Yep, absolutely. And and you know, thinking about all this work just another thought popped in my head both of these guys kind of said hey is there is there any help on any Mm -hmm. of this stuff 
meaning finance, you know, is there, yeah. Um, the yeah, first guy is. had already talked to, to somebody about federal cost share through uh -huh. EQIP program. You know, this, this second, the guy today hadn't, didn't really know what EQIP was. So yeah. we explained some of that. And I don't know if he'll get in or not. There's a scoring right. system to it. But there are programs out there. So, you know, we're, we're going to put that in the plan and say, hey, you know, you know, go talk to your local office, mm -hmm. find out what the possibilities are. Um, and with all these practices that we're recommending, recommending, it'll, the more practices you do in some of these programs, the higher your score is. So, you know, there's, there's a higher possibility that they do get accepted into the program. Right, and, right. and all of a sudden, hey, somebody's given me some money to help offset this cost, or now I can hire a skid steerer to do this instead of me just doing it all myself with a chainsaw or, you know, kind of helps give you some more options in a lot of cases. Some people don't care. Some people are like, sure. hey, whatever, you know, yep. I don't, I'll pay for it. But yep. some folks are like, hey, I need. Uh, I want to look into that. I want to yeah. see what, what, what yeah. those options are. Can it help me or is it going to hurt me? Or is, sure. is the timeline going to match my my uh, um, aggressiveness in trying to get this work done? May or may not. But it's worth looking into um, in, in many cases to see if that's a feasible option. Yep. Uh, yeah. There's no harm, no foul, no application no. fee. Just you know, so. See if it works out. There's opportunities there. Most states, there's state cost share, too. We've talked mm -hmm. about that. I, at my own farm, I couldn't get an equip this year. in Kansas uh, didn't really fit what I was wanting to do. Um, but, you know, state cost share. Biologists said, hey, I'll hook you up. I'll cover you. And, and yeah. so I'm going to get a little help for stuff that I was already going to do. Planning on doing it. Spraying Ceresa and putting in a pollinator planting and yep. spraying some Johnson grass and and uh, well, I was gonna do all that anyway. But Might now well make some money with I got it. somebody giving me some money to help cover the seed costs and yeah. the herbicide costs. So instead of you know costing me a thousand bucks, I'm gonna get paid a little for my labor and and all you're, most of my expenses paid for. Yeah, so. you're gonna pocket some of that. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, the other big things that you think about <clears throat> this property here that we were on today, this eastern property, um, that has that has a heavy cattle component, um, but also has, you know, 160 acres um, worth of, of timber on it. I, I think what oftentimes, we, don't may, we may not talk a lot about like on the podcast, but I think it's very important is discussing like the movement of wildlife from one resource to the next. You look at the property today, on the eastern portion, your 12-year-old clear cut. In the very center and western portion, we're Bahia grass pastures. Well, you go from like super dense to wide open. There was there was a giant void of usage of this property. Yeah, I mean, we have the cattle and that income and and the usage of that property to work with. Like we're not throwing it out the door, but we we still have to keep in mind of how do I make this more usable? And it just the way you design and the way that you place certain features or encourage certain plant communities to develop and grow 
throughout your entire property is going to change the way wildlife use your property. So you have to consider the placement spatially across a property on a landscape before you even ever do them. Like, does it make sense to put this here? Can I put this here? If I put this here, will deer walk here or will they walk there? Or will they walk around this one feature? Um, Can I create a pinch point? Are they then going to my neighbors? All these different questions should be running through your mind. But, you know, we've talked about on the podcast. How many times do people just see this opening like, yep, planting a food plot. It's going there. Why? Well, because it's an opening. I can just spray it out and I can just plant it. Yeah, we need to consider that more. Just because you see an opening doesn't mean that it should be a food plot. Same thing with the rest of these features that we're talking about, whether it's a bedding thicket or whether it's brood rearing cover or whether it's nesting cover. We've got to consider point A to point B, especially for something kind of like your your emphasis, quail. Like quail mobility and turkey pulp mobility across the property, especially with bahia grass or these really high stem counts, or yesterday with a lot of cheat grass um, on the on the central portion of Texas, like we've got to consider how those species at different stages are going to move before we just start willy nilly putting those those types of habitat and plant communities on a property. You bet, and especially one of the biggest places that plays in with the stuff that you know a lot of these consults are deer centered right and it's these bedding thickets and people get it yeah yeah i get it you put in bedding thicket but where yeah and so people can understand maybe the mobility of hey i gotta have enough bare ground between plants that a quail chick can move around Mm -hmm. but when you start thinking about well i've got 75 acres of all the timber that looks the same and we were in some contour today, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where do you put these bedding thickets? Well, we need to consider all of that. It, it's travel areas. Yeah. Partially plays into that. So, but contours. Yeah. Where's the sunshine? And you guys have talked about mm-hmm. this, but where's the sunshine? And look, I don't just need bedding areas for hunting season. I need bedding areas. This is Texas. 365. It gets hot. So I need need some cooler bedding areas. Well, guess what? We've got a swampy area. We've got a couple creeks on this property. We can work with that. and We have good airflow and cooler temperatures Mm -hmm. in the summer. Um, Maybe for, you know, the the hunting season, we're going to want these bedding thickets more on south and southwest facing slopes, you know, where they can get a little sun laying around in December and so all of that's got to play into this stuff. And, and it was fun to kind of watch that. We went through that discussion with the landowner yes. and his buddy today. Yes. Because you could kind of tell that they, there was a moment in there of kind of the big-eyed, like, oh, boy. You're asking me to do these what? These guys are, I, I hear what you're saying. But Sounds important. Where, where do I start? Mm-hmm. And then we start talking, hey, we're going to give you that information, but we yeah. want you to understand of how we're coming up. This isn't, we're not throwing darts at the board. And, these, and Yeah, these features, it's not just like, oh, hey, we've got this checklist. Make sure we've got brood habitat. Oh, well, 
Yeah, go there. Uh, make sure we got uh, nesting cover. Wow, let's go. Let's go slap it over there. Uh, bedding thicket, check. It goes right here. Uh, it's yeah. not just this, like I said, throwing darts at the wall and, and seeing where they stick. And like, no, there's there's a rhyme and a reason, and all the components you've talked about: topography, the way the sun shines, uh, what kind of response we're gonna get from you know that bottom ground versus the upland soils. They're gonna produce different plants, different communities, and wildlife are going to relate to them differently we've got to think about that yep so it was fun having that conversation with them and 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 you could tell the light bulb went off and and so all that's going to be in this plan it's going to be neat it's going to be neat to see how it plays out absolutely absolutely well any any other wrap-up thoughts here um from you kyle on on just kind of texas in general and and maybe you know there's someone who's who's got property or two different properties they're like i maybe i've just tried to approach them the same when in all reality it could be 20 minutes away and they're the approach is completely different they would be four hours away and 30 inches of rain difference you know the exact same rains but like i i think it's super important despite being in the same state we're we're approaching these two properties that like very differently there's no cookie cutter aspect to this no and there should not be there never Correct. should be every property is different and honestly you could give us the exact same acres of open field timber you could give us the exact same layout five miles apart and i guarantee you we're still going to manage them different because the neighboring properties uh, are going to look different uh, and be managed different 100%. so it all comes into context not just where you're at in the landscape climate wise yeah. what are your neighbors doing your neighbors shoot any any deer yep. that comes through is your neighbor a hunt club yep. or it's a nobody hunts over there this this place today there was just a, there's a timber company to the east. Yeah, they just got Lease done with out. a clear cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, guess what? Yep. That's and this guy change. was talking about, man, I haven't been getting any hogs on camera, uh-huh. and my deer sightings are way down, and then we're tootling along. Oh. They just finished a clear cut. Hello. Well, y- yeah. You've lost some animals short term. It's sure. pine, so yep. it won't be long term. But yep. anyway, all that plays into, you know, we got to figure out what we need here and whether we're competing with the neighbors or working with the neighbors or what's happening yeah all of that matters for sure well we're we're rolling back to missouri right now guys we hope you enjoyed the podcast and we're able to pull some valuable um, tips and information out of this as we're comparing and contrasting approaches and properties here in texas and uh, just a reminder that if you guys are interested in consulting services, uh, reach out to Land and Legacy social media, um, but go into um, the website, click on the consulting tab, and send us an email through that page, or just simply go to um, and utilize info at Land and Legacy and send us an email. We'd be happy to talk with you about what it is we do, how we approach properties, and see if it if it fits for you and what you're trying to accomplish really wherever you're at in the country. So um, actually we're headed Kyle to uh, Florida with Frank in about a week and a half. So we're excited for that. It's going to be fun. Um, But uh, we're going all over the place. Be another deal. So guess what we're going to do there? Deer, turkeys, and quail. Same thing we did yesterday, except 
there probably won't be 10 species of plants that are the <laughs> same. I mean, yeah. it might as well be on two different planets. Yeah, exactly. But our philosophy is going to be the same. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter. We 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 know we'll work with what is there and yep. make recommendations appropriately. Absolutely. So guys, appreciate listening. Um, reach out to us, share this podcast with uh, who you think it may be applicable to and again, we appreciate it and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.